welcome to the Leaf Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. All right, that is our special new introduction. It's just awesome. I'm such a fan. Yeah, he's. Uh, that's obviously that's obviously my son. He's five years old, and he's taking a keen interest in in broadcasting. He likes making his own YouTube videos and stuff like that now. So, oh, you know, maybe he's gonna be. Uh, Maybe he's going to be the next uh, James Duffy or something like that. That was what came to mind for me. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. We're going to try. We're going to track him just like we're going to track the prospects, the 12 of them that were picked by the Leafs uh, this week. You know what's crazy, uh, Jonas, that I was thinking of watching that draft is that my son at five years old is so much closer in age to those players than we are. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like it's not even like he's going to be 18 in like whatever you know 12 13 years i mean when i i haven't been 18 for a long time a lot longer than that so well you get you get little reminders of that um when you talk to the prospects like i think it was yeah. joe miller um he mentioned that um i think alex Kalorn. maybe this wasn't joe miller maybe it was john fusco but he mentioned that alex Kalorn uh, when he was at a game at harvard uh flipped him a puck and you're like alex Kalorn, of course <laughs> like alex Kalorn isn't even that old but like to Joe Miller or John Fusco, like Alex Kalorn is like old. Anyway, um, 12 picks, Rodian Amarov, the first pick. I think we should start there. And then we'll kind of get into um, what we kind of learned about the draft and what we kind of learned ahead of free agency. But let's start with their first round pick. Um, were you surprised that they went with this kind of player? No, uh, no, not really. I mean, it, it fits exactly what, what Kyle Dubas has always sort of pursued in the draft. I mean, it, since he took over as the kind of the sole person running it, um, this was his third draft as as the GM. You know, I, I think the, the pick actually reminds me a little, I know they're different positions and whatever, it reminds me a little bit of Lilgren where, you know, it's the same kind of idea, right? It, it, it's like at the middle of the first round, there aren't always sure things. I think that, I think I read it's something like 50-50 that the player's going to play 200 games at that pick. Um, it, it, the middle of the first round is a lot less certain than you think. A lot of good players have been picked there, but there's been a lot of players that didn't do anything that have been picked there as well. So it's, 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 almost, it's like a high-pressure place to pick um, because the, the extremes of the outcomes are so... Like, if you pick in the top five, you almost always get an NHL player. And, and often you get a really, really... Like, someone like Byfield or... You know, I was look, I was watching the draft, and I was... You know, Byfield gets picked, and they're talking about him, and he's a, he's, he just turned... I think he just turned 18, and he's humongous. And his numbers are just ridiculous. And it's like, holy cow. Like, these, these players are just, like, unbelievable. Like, you can't really miss that high in the draft. It's very rare that you miss that high in the draft. But when you get to 15, you can easily miss. And uh, I'm not saying that Lilgren's a miss or that Amarov's a miss. I'm just saying that um, Kyle Dubas really leans in the uh, going for a high ceiling, I think, is probably the right way to put it. And I think that that's what he did with, with Lilgren. And I think that's what he did with Sandine. And that's what he did with Amarov, is that you know players that at that young age stand out for their skill level and you try and project what they're going to be at 22, 23, 24. Um, you know, the, the, the longer it goes along, sorry, sorry to, to talk so much off the top, the longer it goes along, That's I okay. think that, I think the NHL should go to a draft where, 
the majority of the picks are 19 year olds because I just think it's too hard to project an 18 year old player. Like it's, I, th- I think maybe what you could do is the first round you can pick 18 year olds, but after that you pick 19 year olds because teams are really, really guessing in the NHL draft much more so than other sports. And then Kyle Dubas talked about that a little bit. Yeah, those are all really good points, and I and I think the the upside um, idea is interesting just because it was uh, seven years ago, just over seven years ago, that with the 21st pick, um, the Leafs took Freddie Goche. Um, and I went back and, and obviously um, this week is in on Wednesday, he was not qualified, so he's gone. Um, but like, I went back and listened to what Dave Nona said after they made that pick. And he said like, high end, this guy is a second line center. Low end, this guy is a third line center. And obviously Frederick Goche became a fourth line center who, to your point, played or has played 168 NHL games. Well, so like, he probably gets to 200, but like he's not. You can find those guys in free agency every year. And that was the criticism. That draft was seven years ago in New Jersey. I remember it very well. You sent me a picture of me standing beside Nonis with, <laughs> with a skeptical look on my face. Um, that that 2013 offseason was basically a, a calamity of, of errors. They signed David Clarkson a week later. They drafted Goche with that pick. Uh, some of the players that went soon after Goche, uh, Burakovsky, uh, Shea Theodore, um, you know, who else we got here? Ryan Hartman. What, there wasn't a lot. Like, the, the, that draft kind of illustrates how weak, you know, people like Nick Patan and things like that went soon after. But, you know, there's not, there wasn't a whole bunch of slam dunk picks there at the end of that first round. And I think that's where you can get in trouble where you think, I'm not really sure about any of these kind of high skill guys, so let's take a, a more safe bet. And a lot of times, when you make the safe bet, you end up with uh, you end up with a Freddie Goche, or not, or not even. Well, and and I just uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a story on Morgan Riley in the year he was drafted, and like you look at Ryan Murray drafted second overall, and the idea with Ryan Murray is like he was really safe, and he's fine, like he's had a fine NHL career. But he's just fine, and like that's a second overall pick. He's had a lot of injuries though, too, Jonas. I mean, there are still people around the league that really like Ryan Murray, but you're—I mean, he's—they like him, you know, because like a second pair kind of guy, and um, right. Where, yeah, I mean, the Riley pick was an excellent pick. I remember being at that draft, and it felt like it kind of came out of left field because no one had any idea that's what the Leafs were looking at. We we all thought they were probably going to take a forward. Um, and when Forsberg slipped to there, I, I thought that's probably what they were going to do. And that would have been a fine pick, too. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, Riley was into the NHL quickly, and he was a very good player pretty quickly. And it was a bold pick, just given how little he had played at that point. But I remember when they made it, and it's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, you're betting on high-end skill. Like, so what if he hurt his knee? Like, knees get fixed, and, you know, you probably got to... You know, if he if he wouldn't have hurt his knee, he probably would have went second, third, or fourth, right? Yeah. Well, maybe ahead of. Well, man, I, I don't know how they took Griffin Reinhardt ahead of him. I guess he was huge <laughs> and whatever. Anyway, um, you could see obviously with the twelve picks that size was not a thing that they were that they cared about. They, Kyle Dubas, John Lilly, they made clear afterwards that like if there was a guy, it's it's that old line. If there's a guy who's six four and has all the skill, they'll take him. But like they're not going to shy away from it. But it is interesting that at a time like when they are being questioned about the types of players that they go get that they just kind of lean in even harder but i did think it was interesting you know kyle dubas made the point that 
you try to get like the really skilled players because those those big guys and I think of like Patrick Maroon or I don't know like Zach Bogosian who was a top five pick but like those guys who people are kind of craving for you can get the hard thing to get is like skilled guys like look at what's out there in free agency like you just can't get it so if you can draft it and develop it um, you're you're better off um, in the big picture does that make sense well it I yeah in drafting or do you not like that they went so hard no i mean no i I think it's fine honestly i think it's fine you just like if they hit on these players like i think it's fine if you draft a bunch of you know of chinkov guys who are you know 160 pounds who are skilled in the fifth round you just have to hit on some of these picks like you can't yeah some, some like the thing you don't like if these guys are all Nick Patans or like they're all fringe NHLers, then it doesn't really, it doesn't really give give you anything. So you know it's it's really important that if you that that some of these players are difference makers. You know and you need them to be first and second liners. You know I, I think that you know what you're saying is it's not even just size, Jonas. It's like style of play. You look at who's available. You know, and we're going to talk about free agency, I'm sure, in a little bit. And I wrote about kind of what they're what some of the players that fit their plans are going to be, you can find not even just size, but good two-way players that can play in your third and fourth line for not a lot of money most years in free agency. Because those guys kind of like change teams more frequently. And so looking to project in terms of skill as opposed to trying to draft some more grinder type guys makes sense. I, I think what you're seeing too, Jonas, is that the Leafs are trying to take the best player available on their list and not factor in. Well, they, I'm sure they factor it in. And not over-prioritize size and grit. Whereas other teams probably still are. Um, but we're not going to know if, if other teams have over-prioritized it until like, we see three or four years down the road how the, how the draft class plays out. Like it's You and I are not junior Russian league, Finnish league experts. We have not seen these guys play. Now we can talk to people who who know things, you know, like about about Amarov. And I talked to Bob Hartley, who coaches against him all the time in the KHL, and he gave me some good information. Um, but we can't project what these guys are going to be in in three or four years. Um, but I think you know, I think that the the story of do the Leafs have it right or do the other teams have it right? It's we'll, that's going to become very clear in, you know, 3 to 5 years. Yeah, and and you you just wonder like about some of these some of these guys who are so small. Like I look at a guy like SDA, it's really hard to to think like that guy's going to be able to survive in the NHL. Maybe. It's just like it it's just he's so and and like one of the guys they took this week, Joe Miller is even smaller and, and maybe he gets bigger and maybe he grows and all that stuff. And Patan's a really good example. Like it's, I don't know if it's about size with Patan as much as it is. Like, I just don't think he's like quick enough to, to, to kind of be a top six kind of player in the NHL. Um, I did think it was interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say Amarov, you watch the YouTube videos and he's just like burning through the middle of the ice. And it's like, okay, like, yeah. And, and the thing too with Amarov is that, I mean, his agent says he's 6'1", 185. Uh, the Leafs, what did the Leafs say he was? Around 180? Like 182 or something. So, like, I mean, it's not like, I called him in the article small-ish. And, and, and some of the, the readers got upset with that. But, 
you know, he he's like average or a little bit below average. Like he's not tiny. And if he can skate like that, it's like, okay, this this is a package that makes sense at where they picked him. Yep. And I did think it was very notable that basically 11 of the 12 picks are guys that you don't have to make a decision on very soon at all. Um, especially right now, given like who knows what's going to happen this season in some of the junior leagues, who knows what's going to happen next season. If you can get like a really long window to evaluate these guys, all the better, I think, for well, the Leafs. Dubas talked about that before the draft. He was saying that with the North American, out of the North American junior leagues, the window's even smaller because they're drafting in October and you only get them, you're, you're supposed to get them for two years, but it's even less than two years. Instead of getting them for 23 months and then re-entering the draft uh, two years later, uh, you get them, I mean, how many months have we lost here? Uh, July, August, September, you know, you get them for 20 months instead of 23. So it's it's like a very, very tight window of time. And, you know, the Leafs are going to have to decide whether or not they want to give these guys entry-level contracts when they're, you know, 20, 21 years old. And even then, with a lot of them, you're not going to be 100% sure what they're going to be. So um, these are these are a lot, a lot of these are like lottery tickets, so... Totally. And it, but it's not just the, the number of months. It's like, how many games are they going to be able to play in the next 20 months? Like, it's just, who knows? It's, uh, um, but so the, the draft was interesting. Obviously, it took five years. It was not a, not a good planning. <laughs> Why um, did it take show. so long? Well, there's too much passing along and every team was taking all their time. But like, to go from the TV studios to the commissioner to the team is just, 200 and whatever times is insane. Anyway. Another, another casualty of COVID is that the day two of the draft went from being... Like, normally it's, what, like four hours long? Normally it starts Max. at, like, like, 10 in the morning, and they just burn... They just rip off all those picks. Like, teams are anxious to get on the plane and get out of there, I think, when, it's, when you're in person. Whereas, maybe if you're sitting on a Zoom call... I felt sorry for those guys on TV. Like, holy cow, can you imagine being on TV, live TV, for eight hours straight? It's just wild. And then talking about like random prospect X and like the sixth round, like it's not easy. Did you watch the whole um, thing? Like they were getting into some like yeah. like Brian Lawton was talking about flying on weird planes in Russia and stuff, and like they were just getting they were off on like all these tangents and everything. And I'm I'm you know as a huge hockey nerd, I was I was interested in it. The the problem for us obviously is that <laughs> you know our work starts when the draft ends, and if the draft never ends, then. <laughs> <laughs> then you and I are, you know, you and I were talking at like two o'clock in the morning last night. So, but it was interesting, you know, after the draft, uh, John Lilly and uh, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe all talked to the media. So there's there was some pretty good tidbits in there that that gave us an indication of what they were thinking, not only for the draft but uh, for free agency too. Perfect segue. That's what's next on my list. Um, we did get a, a pretty good window or better window than we've had before into what they're looking for. Obviously. God, I, I can't use this hard to play against line anymore. Like we need to. Well, I'm not using that. I need a different than, way to. It's better than uh, what's what, Moxie, Moxie or whatever the other. I like Moxie. That's better. Let's not use well, the cliches. Let's not sandpaper and all this. Well, I think you've used grit a lot. You had it in a headline like recently too, and because they you know, used it. Yeah, you know what's they used. It's it. funny, you know, we write about what the Leafs are trying to do, and we make it really clear that that's what we're writing about, and then you get all these complaints because that's not what the fans want them to do. Like, I, I think that they, the Leafs have made it pretty clear that what they're going to do in free agency is not going to be super sexy. You know, the the message that they're giving is they they like 
kind of their star players. Like, like let's face it, when Sheldon Keefe took over from from there until the end of, of the regular season anyway, the Leafs were the high-scoring team in the league. They were unbelievable on the power play. They were a really dangerous offensive team. So they're not really trying to dismantle that or change that in any fundamental way. Um, they're, they're, they're And they've said flat out they want to make the blue line better, and uh, that probably means to me adding one right-shot defenseman that can play in the top four. And uh, they want to, I don't know if you want to call it grit or hard to play against. What it, what, they just want to add guys that are going to make the other team's life more difficult in, in on the third and fourth line. You know, they want to add some kind of like, some like buzz, buzzsaw kind of players. Yeah, I wrote about it a, a, a few weeks ago. I think it was a few weeks ago. And, and I kind of picked out some of the things that John Cooper had described with his third line guys like Goudreau and Coleman. And one of the lines that like I could never shake was, I think he said something along the lines of uh, Julian Breezewell went and got them guys who have a little grease under the nails or dirt under the nails or something like that. And and that's kind of what I was thinking when I was writing the story. Like that's kind of what it felt like the Leafs were missing. Just a little like moxie, spunkiness, like bite, like some guys who are kind of like assholes to play against like they just didn't have enough of that who you shove me i'm gonna shove you harder like it and and it's such a hard element to measure because it's just an intangible but that's what it felt like they were missing especially against columbus because columbus has a lot of guys like that um and and obviously dubis and and keith kind of spelled that out and i think it was interesting in in asking keith about it and he said like you you have to be careful like you don't want to go too far and get guys who can't play you know and that's and that's what you and i have kind of tried to figure out and looking at some of the names is like who are the guys who can bring that but also aren't going to hurt you um in other ways what was the you asked the question along those lines to sheldon keith kind of about well i think you more asked about size like do you sacrifice skill and yeah there's a balance there but you know looking through the list of free agents and the names that that especially at the forwards that i picked out now that we have a we have a better idea of what they want. They, they moving on from Goche kind of crystallizes what they want, and you know they they I, I think they really want another center that can play on their third or their fourth line, who has a little bit of skill but who has a lot of defensive acumen. They they want kind of like a Manny Malhotra kind of a center, like someone who can yeah. eat a lot of really difficult minutes, win faceoffs, play against other teams' good players. They didn't, have, you know, talking to people around the organization, they didn't have that last year, really. Like, they couldn't really rely on that Kerfoot line or the Goche line to play against other teams' top lines. So if you can't play those lines against other teams' top lines, then your star players have to do it every time, and then they have to take defensive zone starts, and it, it takes away from what they're able to do. And players like Tavares and Matthews have to focus a lot more on on defense than than then if you have another center who can who can eat some of those minutes and it, it, these are not going to be sexy additions to the roster it's not like they're it's not like signing Petrangelo or Taylor Hall or whatever because I just don't think that's the conversation the Leafs are in uh, but they could be really important additions and it, it reminds me of when the Leafs added Jay McClemon except that I think that this iteration of the Leafs management wants to get a guy who can who's got a little bit more uh, ability than Jay McClemon. But that that kind of idea of a stopper kind of player who is only going to put up 20 or 25 points, but who's going to be really good on the penalty kill and really good defensively. And other teams, you know, if you're you're a star on the other team, you see that guy come over the boards and you're like, oh, man, i got to go against that guy again. 
The, the Leafs, mm-hmm. the Leafs need more of that, and they especially need it at center. Like they're too thin. They, they, they've obviously got the two star centers, but they, but they're too thin at three and four center in terms of defensive acumen and you know ability to play in the penalty kill. And so I, I think that that's going to be a big priority here is that they're going to try and find someone who's really good in that that Goche role that might not cost a lot of money. And this is where like the the analytics department and all that stuff's going to come in, and they're going to try and find someone who's who can do that. And um, it'll be interesting to see how much of a difference that could make on this team. Well, they did have a center who sort of was, was like that, and they traded him last summer, obviously, in Kadri. Um, yeah, no, no, but I'm talking about a fourth-line center. But you're talking about the fourth-line center. But I'm but talking yeah, about someone like, making like a million, million and a half. Well, and, and the problem with like Goche in that role, and you and I were texting about it last night, is... You, you couldn't really do anything with him. Like, you, you didn't really want to put him on the ice in a, uh, for a defensive zone draw against a good line. You don't really want to waste him for an offensive zone draw. So you're kind of like, you, you don't really use him to kill penalties. He's not really that good a faceoff guy, although he got better. And I think he was like 54, 55%. But he's not like a guy you're throwing out there to, to win you a game and win that defensive zone draw. So he didn't really give you kind of anything. And so maybe... I, let me ask you, like, is there a name that comes to mind for you, someone who kind of fits that profile? Well, you, I mean, I put out my list of 23 players the Leafs could pursue in free agency. I, I mean, so it was hard to do because I'm digging through these guys that you see. Like, you don't notice these kinds of players that much when you're watching games. You're not looking at the fourth line center of like, like, I've got guys that played for like Buffalo and Florida and... And you think about it, and it's like, is, is, is like the fourth-line center or the third-line center from Buffalo going to help the Leafs? And it's like, well, maybe it's a good player playing on a bad team, a good player in that role playing on a bad team with bad line mates and bad defensemen around him. And you put him on a good team, and, and you play him the, the minutes that uh, he's going to excel in. And, you know, the one name that, that stood out to me was Johan Larson from, from the Sabres. And I talked to some people about him, and they really like kind of uh you know his competitiveness level and it, there's not a lot of offense there but defensively he's very very good you look at some of the underlying numbers you look at some of the RAPM charts that evolving hockey produces and I've got one of them in my story his defensive metrics are unbelievably good like expected goals against he's extremely good at limiting that 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 might be the kind of player that they look at and I think he only made 1.5 last year Maybe you get a guy like that and you give him a two- or three-year deal. It's around that level of money. You spend a little bit more to get a little bit more ability on, on your, your fourth-line center. And and he's the kind of guy that can can jump up and play with skilled players on your third line, too, at times if there are injuries or whatever. And I, I just I just feel like that that those that's the kind of player that the Leafs are going to pursue. And some other names, uh, Lucas Walmark is another guy who played a lot in Carolina in, in that role. Mark Jankowski uh, from Calgary, who had a really poor year, but I think he had 30-some points the year before that. Uh, Derek Broussard. Um, you know, Evan Rodriguez is someone that they looked at. Uh, you know, I had one of his former coaches with another NHL team said that they thought that he was effective as a center iceman more than a winger, even though he's played a lot of wing in his career. There well, are, they couldn't agree with him, obviously. Well, he just... I, I think what's happening is they're trying... The Leafs are trying to read ahead to what the market's going to be for guys like that, and and they're trying to, they're basically trying to squeeze players like that. Like this happened, I mean, the Kyle Clifford conversation is a little bit different than that, but you know they're they're oh trying boy. to say the the market's going to be really tight. Uh, Rodriguez, we'll give you, let's say we'll give you three years at one million or two years at one million, and Rodriguez is saying, oh, you know what, like 
I was making, I think he was making two or something like that last year. I can get more than that in free agency. I'm not going to settle right now. But what could happen is he could get to free agency on Friday and there are no offers or the offers are, are as bad or worse than the Leafs. And he could come back and he'd be like, you know what? Your offer actually wasn't that bad in this environment. And there's some disagreement right now between agents and teams over how much players are worth because of how unique this year is. So, you know, the Leafs are going to be, in some respects, they're going to be bargain shopping. Like if, if they go into free agency and they're like, you know what? We really like... Miko Koivu, or we really like Johan Larson, or we really like Walmart, and then some other team offers those guys, or Broussard, and then some other team offers those guys two and a half million, the Leafs can be like, no thanks, we're going to go to like the next option and see, you know, because they still don't have a lot of money, they can free some up if they trade some guys, um, and it certainly seems like they are going to trade some guys, I mean, listening to Sheldon Keefe last night, it's, you know, he was talking about trading, or not trading, about changing the depth the, the the forwards the depth forwards they have and um you look at the group i mean they're not going to trade matthews marner Tavares, nylander they're not going to trade hyman they're not going to trade robertson they're not going to trade mckayev they're not going to trade barabanov who they just got they're not going to trade jason spezza i mean that's like that's like nine players right there so who might they trade to change their defensive forwards basically the guys i didn't list Janssen, kerfoot Angval, the names that we've been kind of punting around for a while now, uh, I just, it feels almost certain one of them's going to go, and um, I guess would probably be two of them to free up uh, cap space and to free up roster spots for the kind of players that I'm, I was talking about earlier. Well, and, and if you can pay one of those guys, like you're paying Janssen 3.4 and you're paying Kerfoot 3.5, like if you can find a guy, one of those guys, or even like somebody I like, like Jesper Faust or Nick Cousins, and you can pay those guys two or one and a half. And like suddenly you're not really dipping off that much. Like maybe offensively you're dipping off, but defensively you're improving. Now you can take that money and spend it elsewhere. It just makes sense to kind of move the puzzle pieces around that way. Um, you mentioned Kyle Clifford. I do think we should hit on that for a second. You reported that they offered him a three-year deal which like kind of blew my mind. I would not give Kyle Clifford a three-year deal. What did you, or what do you make of that? Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, that's why it was the top of my piece, not not today, but uh, I believe it was on Monday I wrote that story. Um, I had heard that uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I just had to do some more digging to confirm it. Um, I couldn't nail down the exact number. Uh, I guessed that it was around mil- one million with some of the people I was talking to, and they said, "Oh no, it was it was it was more than that." And it, they made it sound like it was quite a bit more. And I was like, "Okay." So I think they offered like three years and close to one and a half million for Kyle Clifford, and uh, that's really surprising. And I think that if you're a Leafs fan, it's it's a little bit concerning just because. I mean, Clifford didn't really play that much. You know, like some of these other guys, like like Walmart and whatever, you know, Rodriguez and whatever, like they've, those guys have played 12, 13, 14 minutes, albeit not always on great teams, but they, they've been able to, to step up in the lineup and play with good players. And like, that's not Kyle Clifford. Like he was only playing nine minutes a game. And I think that, I think they really like Kyle Clifford, the person. I think they really thought he brought something to their dressing room. I think they liked his experience. I think they and they were looking at paying a little bit more to get some of that. Like they're trying to like get more muzzini like guys in the dressing room, and and they felt like Kyle Clifford gave them that. Uh, the problem is, is that that might almost be too far in the direction of not enough skill coming to the table for what they were going to pay him. So 
I, I wonder if they looked at it and they're like, you know what, we're paying Engvall one two five. Like, would we rather have Clifford at one point five? Uh, you know, maybe. Um, but but those are the kind of players that that they're going to be looking at. And as I I think if you're a fan, you just you're you're hoping that they don't make a mistake and overpay one of those guys. We should take a, a pause actually for one second. I should remind you. Brian Burke is going to be on the full 60 with Craig Custance on Thursday. And then on Friday, uh, they're going to recap the 2020 draft with Scott Wheeler and Corey Promen. So be sure to check that out. Those guys are insane how much they know about the prospects. Like, Jesus. The coverage was, um, uh, the coverage was unbelievable how good it was. Like, it's just, well, they, they, you know, those guys prepare the whole year for that, that those couple of days. And last year, I, yeah. we, we mostly just had Corey doing it. And we decided... Uh, to to change Scott Wheeler's role so that he was full time on prospects, and I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago now. Time's flying by, Jonas. Um, and Scott's just done a great job. It's been it's been fantastic having both of them do it. And you look at some of the kids we're getting picked, and then we have these these features. You, you know, Wheeler had a, a feature about the I think it was a six round pick that the Leafs made the Mietinen kid from from Finland. I mean, what? There's not not very many. Uh, not very many outlets have like in-depth features on sixth-round picks, you know, ready to go. So there's there was a lot of really good content, and I encourage people to, if you're not signed up, sign up. Theathletic.com/slash/leafreport. Uh, this is the best sale we've ever had for the athletic. So now is the time to sign up. Uh, I've been part of the company for almost four years. This is the best sale we've ever had, and uh, feels what like is it a buck twenty-five a month? Something like that. Like it's 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 a really good deal. Sign up for a month. If you decide it's not for you, we understand. But most people that sign up stay. You know, I saw a stat at one point that something like, I think it was something like 87% of the people that had signed up to read my stories or something were still signed up. And like I said, I've been writing for almost four years. So, you know, it's most of the people that, that check out the uh, the subscription seem to like it. I was going to say something All else. Right. I, I, went on, I went on a tangent there. Oh, I was going to say... You've been, you know what I was you've been say? going on tangents I, today. Yeah, well, it's, I didn't get a lot of sleep the last couple of days. I've been working like... Yesterday, I was working like literally 10 a.m. till 2.30 in the morning, so... Okay, well, let me finish my thought before you finish yours. What I was going to say about free agency, which I think makes it really difficult this year, anybody who's been in like one of these like auctions for whatever sport, like for fantasy sports... Sometimes you go into these things and you're like, okay, who's got enough money? How is it going to go? And sometimes the strategy is like, let's spend early and get the guys. And then what sometimes happens is you realize, oh, I shouldn't have spent early. I should have waited and gotten a better deal later on. The other side of that is sometimes you wait and then there's nobody left. And so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of play this because they could look at a guy like, I don't know, Koivu. And they'll look at him and be like, nah, we can get someone cheaper than that. And then suddenly, like, it's musical chairs and there's no one. So it's going to be interesting, given that no one knows what the prices or the landscape is going to look like, how you kind of navigate that. Well, Kyle Dubas has said repeatedly that, you know, not having that interview period means that they're going in a bit blind. Like, they're not really sure. There's a there's a few guys that have been given permission to talk to other teams that they can talk to. And they can talk to some agents and... The problem with talking to agents is agents are going to say that the guys are all worth more than what might end up happening. Like the agents are going to go and be like, "Oh, the market's the market's really weak, and no one's going to get any money." And um, I, I think in with the situation you're talking about, Jonas, what you need to do is be extremely well prepared. 
and have an idea what the number you're willing to go to is on all of the players that you like. And uh, that when in an auction draft, that's I remember I remember going into auction drafts and just having like a number, like a price number next to every player. And if the bidding goes way over that number, then you're just you move on to the next one. And you know, I'm but it's sh- like, do you start at that number, James, or do you start like a lot lower? And then like, do you risk losing the player because some other team is like, we'll just give it to you. Well, now. you know what I mean. You, I, I think you try and make sure that the player comes back to you again and gives you an opportunity to see what they sign for and I think you can say oh we're really really interested and here's our initial offer and it's 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 all a negotiation right it's like it's like buying a car or buying a house or I mean it's except it's more like an auction with all these other interested parties involved and I just think with some of the guys we're talking about as I said they're not the sexiest names I wonder if the Leafs are the first to the table for some of these like fourth line center guys and they're offering two or three years and they're offering a, an amount of money that's okay, that's sort of in line with what they've made before. They might get these guys. You know, other teams might be focused on all these other bigger names. And uh, it's not to say the Leafs won't go after any bigger. I mean, I, we haven't talked about the defense at all yet. We've spent a lot of time talking about the forwards. Um, I think mostly just because we've exhausted the defense conversation over the last but seven months. We should talk about that for a second. But, yeah. But to, to close on that point, James, like um, it just will be interesting to see how, I don't know, you go about that and how, how you kind of figure out what you can spend and where you can attract. And then like, what do you do with the guys we talked about, like Kerfoot and Janssen? I guess you get to a point later where maybe you just, See if you can dump them for a pick. And well, like dump them. They're good players. Like there's, it's- there's nothing, there's nothing that says you can't go three, four, five million dollars over the salary cap. And you know, I, I believe you can go eight point one million over the cap, right? You can go ten percent over. Yeah. So you have time. I think that what the Leafs should probably do is pursue who they want, and if you end up five million over the cap or four million over the cap, yeah, that money is going to be might be difficult to dump but you you find a way i mean maybe you're putting guys on waivers at a worst case scenario or you you figure that out but the important thing is you get the players you want and i mean the only the, the problem with doing it that way is that uh it kind of hurts your trade leverage like if, if you have to move all a, of it if you have to move a Janssen and you're three million over the cap uh, teams probably aren't going to be uh anxious to help you out so Here's a fifth round pick. Have a good day. Probably, probably, but maybe so, that, maybe that's okay though. Like maybe that you know, if you trade him ahead of of, of free agency, you're only going to get a third round pick. So it's like, you know, how, how much capital are you really expending if you do it that way? Well, you kind of have to look at it like you're flipping, let's say, Janssen for that player you're replacing him with, who's cheaper and who maybe fits what you need better. Exactly. Um, you mentioned the defense. Um, I asked. Sheldon Keefe, because Kyle Dubas mentioned that they are looking on defense, and we kind of know what their defense sort of looks like. Uh, and he said they're looking for basically a defensive defenseman, a guy who's mm. going to be reliable that way defensively. Yeah, but doesn't it doesn't have to be a defensive defenseman, though. It could be like a hybrid player who's good defensively. That Do you have the quote? Like, Can you read the actual quote e- out? Yes, I can read you the quote. It was like they want to get someone that can move the puck, though, too. Like it's not... Quote... James, quote, we're looking for somebody, I think, that defensively is going to be really strong and reliable. Yeah, but that doesn't mean... So that doesn't defen- mean you can't... It doesn't mean they're no. a defensive defenseman. It okay, means- 
okay, this is what you 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 do. You, you I'm not saying that they're just good at defense. I'm saying like that that has to be part of their skill set. Like that doesn't mean this person can't have skill. It just means like a guy we've talked about, like Kevin Shattenkirk, does not make sense for them if you're looking at what this is. Yeah, and I think that they kind of learned the lesson with Tyson Berry that like they they have to yes. make sure that that player they get is is strong defensively, regardless of what their skill set is offensively. They have to be good defensively. So you did the list. I don't think there's actually a lot of guys who kind of fit that. Who are no a few that that kind of stand out. I that mean, way. I think TJ Brody's probably the best name. Like I, I like Dylan Demello, but obviously he signed a four year deal with Winnipeg, so he you don't. Know, he would. Uh, he would have been high on the list. Um, I mean, TJ Brody's not big. He's not like no one would call him a defensive defenseman, but he's good on defense. You know, he like he helps. Keep so he's the... a defensive defenseman. No, that Jonas, that's not what a defensive defenseman is. A defensive defenseman is like Zach Bogosian or something like that. That that that's that's. I what... think you're taking the term too far. I'm not saying you're using that, the wrong I'm term. You're using the wrong term. Like a def- a def- I'm saying a defenseman who has to be good defensively is all I'm saying. Yeah, You're I just know, taking but, it and running with it. Well, because defensive defenseman means like a guy who's it, it means like a Luke Shen or something like that. Like it means that's not what it means to me. But anyway, go ahead. Um, like TJ Brody's uh, like I would call a guy like that like a two way defenseman. Like he's good. He's good. Both. Oh God, talk about cliches. What? Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, continue. I'm just chirping you. Go ahead. No, two-way is not a cliche. Two-way is a description of a player. I mean, I guess Chris Tanev is, is a, I would call a defensive defenseman. Defensive defenseman. Nice. Um, yeah, just just somebody like James. You know what it is? Like It's just somebody who, when you're trying to protect a lead, let's go back to the playoffs, and you're in that game, whatever it was, when you're up 3 nothing, and then it's 3-1, and then it's 3-2. Someone like you can put on the ice, like Jake Muzzin, who you're comfortable is going to be able to handle protecting the lead. And there's no and real... they just didn't have a lot of those guys there's, last year. No, there's no... And when Muzzin went down, I was like, they didn't have anyone who could jump in and be that. So there's... I'll read I'll read my list. I got TJ Brody, Chris Tanev, Travis Hamanick, uh Troy Stetcher... Uh, it, like it, it gets really, it gets really thin. Then you get into like, then you get into a bunch of guys that, you know, like Shattenkirk's a wrong fit kind of stylistically. I think that if if the other options are gone, that maybe you could make Shattenkirk work as kind of like a four number four defenseman. The problem is he's probably going to get more than the Leafs are going to want to pay him. Um, but then you get into guys who are only third pair guys, and I don't know what you do if like Stetcher. Yeah, maybe can play some minutes in the second pair, but he's 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 small and um. Then you get into like Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Zach Bogosian, Gudis. There's just there's not a lot, so I'm gonna be really interested to see what they do. We thought coming in that that maybe the trade route would be the way that they address the defense and that they might give up that that first round pick to do it. Uh, it feels less likely that that's what's going to happen, that they're going to go the trade route to find that defenseman. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I mean, I kind of feel like TJ Brody's going to be their guy. I guess it just depends what like what his price will be. Yeah. Um, He's making 4.6 on a long-term deal before. Yeah, and like I'm not offering that. Um, like he's, I think he's 30 or 31. But what do you do? Um, so what do you do, let's say, if TJ Brody's like, I want $4.5 million for four years and you don't like that? Great like, question. Well, that's the thing. Well, like, like they might have to do that. 
because like well, I, you, you, you have know to what get you, you might do. You mentioned this to me, um, and and you kind of hit on it earlier. Is maybe you go to Tanev, you go to Brody, and you go to Hamannik, and you have a specific offer for each. Yeah, and you kind of see who find the one that will bites. take it. Yeah, I don't looking because, at the re- looking at the results. To me, it looks like Brody had a pretty good year last year. Um, yeah. Tanev looks like he's declining due to injuries yep. and age, and Hamannik looks mm-hmm. like he's declining due to injuries and age. Like yes. Brody looks like he has the most tread on his tires, kind of thing. So. The tough part, James, is like you could get into a situation like you, you're you kind of touching on is where those guys disappear and then you kind of look around and you're like, uh-oh. And then like you have to sign, you don't have to, but like you sign someone like Bogosian or Gudis who's on your third pair and then I guess you're just kind of vaulting Travis Dermott into your top four. Like, or or, or Miko, Miko Lettinen, you know, maybe. Yeah, you, but, sure. but, you know, stylistically, you don't know what he's going to give you defensively, so... It's really, there's the three guys, and like I said, Tanev and Hamannik look like they've declined, and if you got to give them a three- or four-year deal to get it done, um, you know, and they're already declining, it's, I don't know. I mean, they're in a bit of a tough position. So I, I think there, there still could be a trade. It's just they're kind of running out of time to, you know, if they rely solely on the trade option, they might not be able to get the deal they want, right? So I, I don't know. I think I think I, they just have to hope, James, that, that that those guys will end up looking around like they will go into this expecting one thing, and there just might not be enough teams interested in paying them that. Right, and the Leafs can do things like structure the contract the way they want, and I think what you do is you make it so that you can buy the deal out, you make it so that it's easy to trade, you put a lot of signing bonuses in it, you structure the deal in a way that it's very easy to get rid of the contract in two years. And if there's a decline there or the player's not useful, you can either buy them out or you can trade them to another team retaining salary. Or, you know, that might happen with Muzzin towards the end of that contract he signed where they decide to move on from him. And you just, that might be what they have to do with one of these deals. Like maybe you give Brody a four-year deal, but you get out of it in two years or you expose him in the expansion draft or or whatever. Yeah. All right, very quickly, uh, and then we got to go. We didn't mention Jeremy Bracco just that he was not qualified either. We mentioned GOAT. And I don't think either is really a surprise. Um, I guess that's the question for you. You're not really surprised by either of those non-qualifies, are you? I heard from other teams that they liked Goche, so I was like, well, maybe they'll just qualify him and then trade him for a pick or something. You know, I... Yeah, I heard. Yeah. I heard that Montreal liked him. I had, I've heard. That I think the qualifying James was a bit above minimum. It was like seven. It was seven thirty-seven or something. It was seven thirty-seven. Yeah. I mean, it's it really wasn't going to be, but it, you know, it was. Dubas kind of said, you know, to be fair to to Goche, not to like string him along and send him. You know, it, like this gives him a chance to pick his destination. And other teams do like him. He's going to sign a contract probably for around league minimum. He's going to play, you know, fifty games and eight minutes a game for some other team and do what he does and it's just you know the Leafs are kind of evolving out of needing a player like that they need someone who's a little bit more multi-dimensional and the Bracco thing it's it's that's a tough one I mean it's he just that's a tough one and I I wonder if you know it'll be interesting to see where he lands and if he can get things back on track again because obviously this year was was a mess for him and, and the organization, the Leafs organization, just decided, you know what, let's let's open a space for for another prospect uh, with the Marlies, and uh, that's about it. I'm just not sure he'll ever be able to skate 
well enough to play in the NHL. And that's like that's a that's a thing for a lot of these prospects. Like if you can't keep up, like it, you can be as skilled as anyone, but it won't matter um, to some degree. For well, certain and I think that he got really frustrated with the fact he wasn't getting an opportunity when he saw other players were getting opportunities around him. And um, sure, sometimes sometimes players don't channel that frustration in the right way. Well, I mean, like Trevor Moore is like undrafted and passes him by and plays in the NHL like last. You know what I mean? Like it's just guys kept passing him, passing him, passing him. Anyway, so we will be back to do another podcast as soon as something happens. We don't Pro- know what. Probably that is. tomorrow. Probably tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow is Friday. So maybe you're listening to this on Friday. We will come back with another podcast as soon as something goes down. But like maybe it takes a while. Maybe it's not till Saturday or Sunday or Monday or October 15th before something happens. So stay tuned. Check out theathletic.com slash leaf report for a subscription. You can read James. You can read myself. You can read lots of other great people. James, anything else to add? No. Thanks to everybody for listening. And it's going to be a really interesting next few days. So, uh... Look forward to seeing what what the Leafs do. Defensive defensemen. See you, James.